All right, what is going on, everybody? We are back. Welcome to SaberSim's DFS Office Hours. It is Monday, August 8th of 2022. Thank you for tuning into the stream here today. Uh, I was, of course, off on Friday here. Got uh, into the the great outdoors a little bit this weekend. I was out camping. Uh, I was away. I was unplugged, which was nice. I'm ready to be back here today. Uh, Seven-game baseball slate on tap here tonight and another day of office hours on the show here today. It looks like we did have some uh, quite a few questions actually come in on Friday and over the weekend, so we'll have a lot to get to on today's stream. A uh, couple questions about uh, just, I guess, interpreting what you're seeing when you run builds on SaberSim. Uh, a couple questions about ownership and men's salary, as well as min and max exposures, just how some of those things work, why the defaults are set where they are, how they uh, impact different sports and slates. Um, I saw a couple questions about what else did we have tucked in here? Um, it looks like that's a pretty good summary here. A couple questions about our Behind the Sims episode as well, which went live. The most recent uh, new episode to our Behind the Sims podcast went live on Thursday afternoon. So definitely check that out if you haven't checked that out already. A couple questions in our queue uh, about that. Um, as always, uh, feel free to fire away at me if you have questions that you want me to answer on today's stream. Uh, you can post your questions live in YouTube chat or the Office Hours channel in Slack. Um, or if you catch the recording of this and have a question uh, that you'd like to ask, you can always email us support at sabersim.com as well. But we'll go ahead here and get started in just a moment. Looks like Eric is here in chat. What is going on, Eric? Welcome. Happy Monday. Uh, let's get the app pulled up and let's start answering some questions. So. We're going to start. Uh, this was a question from Sarosh here uh, in email. Uh, and I think it's an interesting one here. Um, to, I knew I knew Patrick, first of all, I knew Patrick would come back here. Not a believer in the Tom Kim hype train. I was uh, talking on Thursday. I think uh, my biggest fade on the entire slate uh, was, uh, was Tom Kim. <laughs> and then he goes out and wins the whole thing. Uh, I'm not even going to lie. I was victory lapping a little bit when he uh, was like plus four uh, shot, shot an eight. Uh, on the very first hole and then on the first day uh, and then went out and won the whole tournament. No, I actually, I, I, I was watching some interviews with him um, over the weekend uh, last night. I, I, I like him a lot, actually. Um, I think he's a, uh, he's an exciting young golfer for the, for the PGA tour to have uh, on the roster. So um, I'm rooting for him. I did fade him in this particular week's event, which didn't work out for me, um, but I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. So, um, anyway, let's go ahead. Let's get into this first uh, question here that we were going to jump into. So this question says, uh, in 150 max 0010 build from this morning, Toronto was 83%. I should make sure. Let me double check that this is actually this morning. It is. Okay. Uh, it was 83% in team exposure. And then in a follow-up build, 150 max 10 to 50K build, Toronto was again above 80%. Uh, I know it's a small slate, but what does it mean? Uh what does it mean? This frequently, this happens frequently. Same thing happened with Boston on Sunday. I know exposure is all about risk tolerance, but just trying to understand what Saber is telling me. So yeah, I mean, so a couple things to just note. Um, you know, first off, I'll say, uh, you know, if you're running builds just early in the day, just to see kind of how the slate is looking, I, I would just make sure that you kind of take that, like let that contextualize what you're looking at, right? You're, you're essentially looking at like a first look, a very early uh, projection of how the slate might work out with, with just how, how games are projected, how ownership is projected, right? There's a lot that uh, tends to, to change throughout the day. So, I mean, even, even on this show, a lot of times when we run builds, uh, I'll qualify things and say, Hey, I mean, you know, remember this is uh, five hours before the slate starts and this angle came in three hours ago. So even earlier, right. So you're really just getting a very first look. So, um, I mean, I would keep that in mind. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I would not, you know, necessarily fall in love with what you see running your builds at, at eight or nine o'clock in the morning or, or figure out, uh, your strategy, what you're going to do on the slate based on a build you run at that time. Um, second of all, we're going to try to do this here, but it, it can be, you know, questions like this where it's like, Hey, explain the results of this build, uh, can be pretty hard to answer. I think there's a lot of clues. There's a lot of little things that you can find. Uh, but there's not always a clear, like you're getting this team or this lineup is showing up for exactly this reason, right? The, I mean, the, the builder is taking into account random SIM buckets, right? Along with player ownership. And, and correlation, and then weighting all those factors differently based on the contest that you're building for. Uh, so typically, your 
lineup portfolio or any given lineup is kind of a product of all of those different factors. Um, I think if you we'll, we'll take a close look here and kind of see, I think there's a few reasons why you you might be finding that Saberson likes Toronto at the moment, which we'll kind of get into. And I'll, I'll try to give you some clues of how we might find that. Uh, but sometimes it can be a little bit hard to just look at a build and say, Yep, that is the reason why this team this is this is happening this way. So let's start. I, I wanted to say first of all, I want to start with this this comment about the 0010 build. Um one thing to note, remember about the 0010 build that it, you should be building this, you should be building this with, with these exact settings, right? The point of this research build is to look at as large of a sample size of slate simulations as possible. And if you are getting 83% of a single team in a 1500 sim research build, what it sounds like to me is that you are not actually looking at your entire pool of lineups. You are just looking at the top 150 or something like that. Um, from my experience, I don't think ever on a seven game slate, I've ever seen a team come in at 83% exposure in a 1500 slate sim 0010 research build, right? It's almost it's almost impossible. What what that is actually said, what that would hypothetically be saying is that Toronto has an 83% chance to be the highest scoring stack on a seven game slate. There, there's just no way it is not that high. Now it, you might get 83% exposure in your top 150 lineups or your top 20 lineups, but you, I, I think it's almost impossible that you're going to get uh 83% exposure to one stack in your 1500 lineup research build. So I just wanted to check, uh, first of all, so we're going to run this build to see that, uh, to verify that I'll, I'll show you a couple things to make sure that you're looking at this the right way, but I'm more interested in this, uh, actual 150 max, 10 to 50 K build on the default settings, right? The kinds of lineups that you would actually enter into your contests. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment as well. Um, so let's see, we'll let this build finish up and see what we're getting. So again, right, main main thing, make sure you are viewing your full 1500 lineup pool when you're running your research build, right? That is a very it's a very important part of this. The smaller this number gets, the more noisy the data you're looking at gets, right? If you're looking at just 100 lineups, right? That that's not very indicative of the full set of of possibilities of what could actually happen there. So you want this number to be 1500, you want this number to be as large as possible. And if we look here, um, we do see Toronto is, is is the most popular stack, right? The stack most frequently appearing in the optimal lineup here. Uh, but 23%, I think, is a lot more realistic of what that real probability is um, compared to 83%, right? But I also think this is kind of our first clue of why, why Sabersim is likely to be favoring Toronto so much at this point in the day, right off the bat, right? Uh, Toronto is five, four percentage points, or actually about three percentage points higher than the next best team. And that's the Mets at 20%, right? To be the most optimal stack. Right. That's taking into account, you know, how, how these players are projected, their salaries, right? What is like what is the most likely to be optimal stack on the slate? Uh something to look at always, I think, when you're especially trying to kind of uh explain Sabersim, right? Why is Sabersim doing something? Is the Vegas totals for the games that that particular slate? And you'll actually see a little bit of a different story if you look at Vegas, right? From from Vegas's perspective here, let me change the view here so you guys can kind of see this a little bit better, right? And if we look at the live totals, at the moment, we're seeing a lot of movement towards the over for the Mets, right? This is a team total that is growing throughout the day. And the the the, the public, I guess, the Vegas is, is basically saying that there's a clear difference between the projection of these two teams, right? The Mets are projected for, for six runs. Toronto is 5-2. And then, in fact, actually, the Diamondbacks and Cubs, like these, these teams are all kind of comparable. So if you ask Vegas, it's clearly Mets, then this kind of next best here. And if you look here, Toronto is actually the best overall team, according to a research build. And if we actually go back to our projections, right, we see that um we're getting we'll let this load for a second if we look at like the saber sim sims we see the mets are five and a half right toronto's just five three so clearly like our models are saying that these two teams are actually a little bit closer than what vegas thinks and the reason why that's important here is because that primarily then tends to affect ownership if we start to look at the hitters ownership here right if we look at the most popular bats it's a it's mets mets Random Aaron Judge, who is always shocky, right? A couple of the more popular Toronto bats, but then Mets, Mets, right? You can see there's an ownership discount here, basically, on Toronto compared to the Mets because of the way that that Vegas is projecting these teams, 
right? The field is going to think that the Mets are clearly the best team on the slate. Saberson thinks that the Mets in Toronto and, and even the Diamondbacks to a lesser extent are all kind of roughly equivalent. So you might as well take the team that has the kind of slight ownership discount here relative to their their probability of success. The other thing to look at here too is, and I was looking at this earlier, is salaries. Uh, when we look at Toronto, the bet, best bats on Toronto here, um, and let me change this back so you guys can kind of see clearly again here. Um, yeah, that I think that view is a little bit easiest, right? Uh, uh, Vlad Guerrero, 6-2, right? That's an expensive bat. That just is what it is. But then we look, I mean, Teoscar Hernandez, 4,600, right? A lot of these guys in the 4,000s and then some like very cheap salary relief here, salary relief here down at the bottom of the order. But like all in all, a relatively affordable stack, right? Even at the top of the order. Um, the Mets are much more expensive. So you have 5,400 for starting Marte, uh, Pete Alonso 6,100, but then like Lindor's 5,900, right? Um, you still have those cheaper salary relief pieces down here. But if you want to stack the best part of the order for the Mets, you have to pay a little bit more. So you can kind of see the story coming together here all of a sudden. We're a half run more bearish than Vegas on the Mets to begin with. They're already priced up to be more, and we think they're going to be more chalky, right? So I think it's starting to kind of make sense why Toronto is likely to be a more popular team showing up. So let's actually run that kind of build, that final build here, and see how this is shaken out and just see what we're getting here, right? And I'm just going to use totally default settings for this one. But I would not be surprised to see Toronto popping up here now, just, just given all these things we talked about here, right? It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, we have, again, like Saberson model is going to say... Mets at the top, but very, very small drop to Toronto, then very, very small drop to uh, to the Diamondbacks. Um, why not play the team that's a little bit uh, cheaper, right? Just cheaper to play, easier to stack, uh, and also less owned. So, um, so anyway, let's see what this looks like. Uh, I expect to see some Toronto popping here, right? Um, and then we'll 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 move on from there. So. Okay, um, and now we go to teams here, and we do see some Toronto, right? 58%. The Mets are still popping up, right? We're not talking about like a full fade of the Mets. They project pretty well, just a little more expensive, a little higher owned. Uh, and then Arizona, right? So again, this this makes a lot of sense to me based on what we've kind of all talked about here. And then remember, you know, at this point, now that we're talking about an actual build, we're looking at some real lineups here, right? We are looking at the 150 best lineups by Sabre score uh, of our pool of 500, right? So this is kind of floating lineups that the, the Sabre score algorithm thinks are better to the top, which is why there's a discrepancy here, right? 58% Toronto in our pool of 150, but only 40% Toronto in our entire pool. And this is kind of where the risk tolerance component of this question comes into play, right? If this number seems a little bit too high to you, uh, you're not comfortable with that level of exposure to any one given stack. Uh, that's when we can start doing things like, hey, let's bring that down to about 40%, right? Maybe bringing that in a little bit more in line with our total stack exposure, things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, final thoughts here, right? One, remember that anytime you're running these builds during the day, they are mostly, I think, just to see how things are looking, right? They are uh, exploratory builds to, to just get familiar with the slate rather than, I would say, figuring out what your final strategic decisions are going to be. Um, two, it is hard to explain a build given all of the different components that go into play. But I think a few things that you can do to, to help figure out why you might be getting a lot of a team is see how does Sabersim's projections and model compare to the, the basically the public in the form of Vegas? Uh, how What do the salaries look like for players on different teams, right? Is it easier just salary-wise to stack one team or another? And what does the ownership look like, right? In this particular situation, we have this uh, discrepancy between the way that Vegas is projecting the top teams and the way that Saberson is projecting the top teams. And we get a salary and ownership discount on a team that Saberson believes is just a slight nudge below the top overall team on the slate. So that's kind of why you're getting Toronto stacks. Um, so, and I think it is good to be able to, you know, run through these exercises and be able to at least, you know, kind of somewhat, uh, somewhat, uh, know what the clues are to look for, for explaining these builds, right? I, again, I, I don't think it's easy to, I don't think it, I think it's, I think, let me put it this way. I think you can look at your stack exposures and be able to say, Hey, yeah, I kind of understand at least why this looks like this. I think it is a little bit harder when you start thinking about like, Hey, explain one, explain this given lineup or something like that. Um, but explaining the stack exposures, I think is a good way to kind of just check in with your, your, 
your strategic sense for, for DFS and make sure that you're on the right track there. So um, anyway, I see some questions coming in in YouTube chat here. Now I'm going to jump and, and uh, get caught up on the questions that came in in Slack here. Um, and then we'll hop over to YouTube chat. So uh, first, let's jump over. This was a question for uh, from Mills. Um, this came in Friday afternoon here. Um, and uh, he said, are there any videos explaining the non-SIM related inputs affecting the lineup pool? An example of what I'm looking for. Let's say I ran 10 builds of 1500 lineups at 0010 and a player had 15% pool exposure in each of the 10 builds. Uh, I then go back and then set either their min or max lineup exposure to 15%. Should I expect there to be a change to the pool exposure because the min max forces extra slash fewer lineups in the pool to be evaluated? That's uh, a good question here. Um, I'll kind of explain how that works. I, I would say, first of all, if you're running builds at 0010, remember that even in 1500 lineups, there is some natural variance there. So if you were to actually go and like run a scientific experiment here, just be aware that the variance of how Sims get selected in a 1500 slate simulation affects what that final number may be, right? And you can actually just, I, I, I think you'll find that there is, you know, depending on the sport, plus or minus a, a few percent on either side of a research build if you just ran 0010 build after 0010 build after 0010 build. Um, but good question here. On the theoretical side, you know, it does, setting a minimum or maximum exposure to a player does kind of affect the the purity of that research build for lack of a better word uh in the same way that any of these other other metrics do right because they essentially require that a certain condition be met for that lineup right when you run a when you run a 0010 build uh that is like this right where you've basically kind of stripped away every restriction here you have no min salary the max salary is just the true max salary of the site there's no min uniques there's no maximum exposure to any players there's no minimum exposures right you are truly getting an optimal lineup for a given random slate simulation every single time. Uh, the moment you adjust anything here, you are forcing a restriction on the builder. So if you say, uh, even if you got 40% Blake Snell in your first research build, if you set a minimum exposure of 40% here, what that's going to do is when it builds the first lineup, right, the very first lineup in the pool, it is going to use Blake Snell because there are no lineups in the pool, right? Actually, I might be wrong about that. The first lineup's a little weird. Let's just say, for example, the first lineup is just just built. It is just a true optimal for that given slate sim. And Blake Snell is not in that lineup, right? The next lineup will use Blake Snell, no matter what. We'll still bucket the sims the same way. You'll get a random single game simulation from every game on the slate. But since Blake Snell's current exposure in your set of lineups is 0%, he will be put into that lineup so that because we need to increase the min exposure to that, we need to increase the exposure to that particular player. Then the best possible lineup based on that sim selection will will include Blake Snell. Now it might, I, I've never really done this, so I'm not sure. It might still, um, it might still converge on that true 40% number over time uh, because that is kind of the, maybe say that's the average optimal rate for Blake Snell across all of the, the possible simulation combinations. Um, but you are still doing that in a way that kind of brute forces that outcome on the builder. Right. Same way, you know, similar, we can talk about this from the standpoint of min salary too, right? Let's say you leave min salary on right now. Is this going to ruin your research build? Probably not. You'll probably be fine. I would say that, you know, overall 15, a random 1500 lineup sample where all lineups are required to be over 48,000 min salary is probably still going to be pretty close in terms of individual player exposures to lineups that are built under the min salary range. But in this particular case, if you had a random slate simulation where the optimal lineup was 45,600 salary, that lineup now cannot be built. So it has to build some other different lineup that meets that min salary. So um, that is like basically how this, this kind of works right? Is that these, you, you, as you call them, non-SIM related inputs, they they basically brute force restrictions on a per lineup basis as the as the lineup pool gets built out. And in, in from the standpoint of building a research build, I think it is best practice to remove those things so that you're you're letting your your research build be built as as organically as possible. So um, hopefully that kind of helped. Uh, I think that that should at least kind of be able to give you a good start there. Um, and let me know if there's any follow-up questions there. Let's go ahead and we'll keep it going. This was a question from Tim. When does the last ownership projections update? I was under the impression it was when the last lineup for the entire slate was simmed. So let's say the FanDuel after our slate tonight, 
or this was Friday, lock is 940. Those lineups will most likely be out by 8. So is it safe to assume by 830 ownership should be good to go? Or will there be another update close to lock? Thanks. Uh, general rule of thumb, in the final hour before lock of a slate, uh, ownership will basically rebuild every time a new sim runs. Um, so the most impactful sims that will run will be the ones that are confirming starting lineups. Uh, but there are other minor sims that can run after a lineup has been confirmed, mostly for things like umpires, right? Uh, the umpire being confirmed, potentially a minor final weather sim, uh, or maybe some other very small model update for a particular game. But general rule of thumb, final hour before lock, anytime. Basically, if it is within an hour before lock, once this timestamp, anytime this timestamp changes, it's probably likely that ownership rebuilt and is updated for that particular slate. Um, so, you know, there's a couple little things you can do to just kind of check it. Like, let's say, for example, we get uh, the Diamondbacks lineup out or something like that. Right. And it's a little bit different than expected. If you want to know, hey, has ownership rebuilt? Uh, a very easy thing to do is to just check the Diamondbacks and just see if the ownership projections are there for the players we didn't originally expect to be in the lineup. Sometimes there'll be a period of time where like a player will have a projection, but their ownership will say 0.0. .0. That just means the ownership is probably rebuilding like that very second and just hasn't updated yet. So, um, Again, final hour before lock. The reason I keep saying that is because earlier in the day, we don't really put a lot of, we don't really prioritize rebuilding ownership constantly, mostly just because it doesn't matter, right? Um, like the the owner, the initial ownership projections that, that are generated at the start of the day will give you an idea of how we kind of think ownership is going to fall just first glance based on the slate. Um, the, the more important updates come closer to lock. So, um. And okay, question from F here about min salary. Um, and it says the optimizer has different min salary settings for different sports. Uh, MLB Classic 49K, MLB Showdown 35K, Tennis 45K, Golf 47K, MMA 47.5. Do you recommend adjusting these or is it up to us as personal preference and why these different minimums? Uh, so let's start with why these different minimums. So, um, you know, ultimately we set that min salary at a range that we think makes sense for that particular sport and contest type and, and slate size. Uh, that slate size is an important one, right? That will, that will impact, uh, if you're seeing MLB at 49 K, I would assume that's for a very large slate because tonight it's actually 48 K, right? So that adjusts dynamically here. Uh, ultimately, um, min salary and just salaries in general, right? If we think about what, what is a DFS salary, a salary is essentially a projection model right? When DraftKings sets salaries at a certain value, they have their own algorithm that is essentially the same as trying to project player performance in the way that they price a player, right? There's, there's, that's really like literally what it is. Uh, and it's, it's a, the, it's a decent model. I would say, I would say at least DraftKings and FanDuel probably have decent pricing models. Um, but the one main thing is that they, you know, they've released the slates the, the day prior, right. And kind of price things out. Or in the case of something like NFL, they price them out like a five days before the slate locks. Right. And then when you end up with big salary inefficiencies, it's because the, a player was priced based on a projection for a situation where news has kind of changed. Right. So all things considered, I would say the DraftKings and FanDuel pricing models are a decent, a, a very, a, a, mediocre to decent projection model, right? But it is basically kind of an alternative. It is, it is basically one other source. So when we have a min salary set, it is essentially a hedge saying that there are so many lineups that you can build for a given slate. We probably, like we might as well, even though we're building primarily with well, we're, even though we're building with the Saberson projections, right? This, we're selecting Saberson Sims, right? This is essentially letting you hedge against the DraftKings projection model and saying, you know, don't give me a lineup that is under a certain salary range because it it might imply that maybe that lineup's not as good, right? Or that lineup maybe like has a lower overall upside because based on the, the DraftKings pricing model, it is it leaves a lot of points on the table, at least in theory. Right um, now in practice, right in, in practice on SaberSim, I think what the min salary actually does is less, it, it, it less hedges against the DraftKings projection model that builds the salaries. And it actually instead ends up uh, eliminating in, uh, what I describe it as an easy out for the ownership fade slider, right? Uh, 
the ownership fade slider basically prioritizes all other things being equal, prioritizes the lower owned player being entered into the lineup, right? If two players have the exact same score from a given sim, uh, use the lower owned player, right? That's essentially what ownership fade is doing. Well, when min salary is set at zero or set to a very low number, the easiest, it is very easy for SaberSim to find very low owned builds that have very low min salary. So in practice, that's that's part of the reason why this number is actually here. Um, in terms of what you should do with this, I would say if you don't, if you don't otherwise have a reason, like I, this is one of those questions where I would probably turn this on its head and, and flip this back to you and say, what is your reasoning for turning min salary down? If you don't have a compelling reason to turn min salary down, I would just leave it where it is, right? Because we we were intentional with putting this where it is for individual sports and contest types and slate sizes and things like that. Um, I wouldn't, your, your question at the way your question is specifically phrased, do you recommend adjusting these? No, I would not recommend adjusting these. Now, I think there are reasons to, to turn owner, to, to turn min salary down potentially. Um, if like, I think, I think probably the most compelling reason you would want to turn min salary down is basically to uh, give yourself the best opportunity to take advantage of like significant misprices, right? Or play really to play builds that like really are are highly leveraged. Um, I guess like let me let me put it this way: if you were trying to play like uh, two underpriced pitchers, right? Like Blake Snell and Zach Gallon look underpriced tonight. They're the two best projected pitchers on the slate. They're eight eight and seven nine, uh, and they're not. They're the uh, what? Let me sort by salary here. Hang on. They are the second and fifth highest salary pitchers tonight, right? So they are clearly. Uh, they are clearly underpriced. If you try wanted to combine those two pitchers with two cheap stacks, like maybe a Washington and Pittsburgh five three stack, which like clearly, just like if you think about it, would would be probably a, a a decent lineup, especially in like a large field tournament. You might simply not even be able to get there under forty eight k, right? Or or above forty eight k. That lineup might not even be possible. So that lineup is kind of blocked off to you. So getting access to more diverse. Uh, lower salary builds. Like I think there's a compelling reason to do that, but you need to be careful because I, the ownership fade slider can can kind of push you in the direction of overvaluing those types of constructions. So again, I, I I would say I would flip this back and ask like what what is your reasoning behind lowering the min salary? Like in your process, what what are you trying to accomplish by doing that? And if you don't have an answer to that question, then I would just leave it where it is. So. Um, Anyway, um, cool. Okay, so a question, another question from Mills here about the Behind the Sims episode uh, that went live on Thursday. He said, you're talking about the ownership fade slider for smaller slates, how it's accounted uh, for via the average player's ownership being higher. This makes it sound like you're using the same math for scoring ownership percentage regardless of slate size. It makes sense to me to redefine the math used for scoring ownership percent Based on slate size, liner, lineups with similar ownership profiles from different slates probably shouldn't be scored the same in my mind anyways. Redefining what scores well for ownership percentage by slate size probably makes sense. Give it a think. Yeah, I mean, I would say, so we we change, obviously, we changed the weighting of the ownership fade slider based on slate size. The math behind how the ownership fade slider works, basically, like the algorithm that that calculates an ownership score is the same and it's static between different slate sizes. Um, I would probably push back. I think it would be very hard to, you know, the nice thing about making the the formula for ownership fade consistent is that we can do things like back test. Obviously we can back test the, the individual value of how high that weighting factor should be for different size slates. Once you start changing the formula or the math itself, I think it's difficult to be scientific about that because you have too many variables at play, right? Like if you're trying to optimize for a seven game slate versus a 15 game slate, do you change the mathematical formula or do you change the weighting factors, the inputs that go into that formula? Uh, so we have generally opted to like keep, I would say the the formulas consistent and change the weighting factors as variables change, which I think makes more sense than changing the formulas themselves. Um, that's just my take. Let me know, like maybe I misunderstood or, or your thoughts on that, um, but... I, I think you open yourself up to be 
like it's in the same way like we wouldn't I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of an analogy and maybe there just isn't a very good one, but I, I think that's kind of what, what jumps into my mind there of like, it, it, it makes more sense to back test how high certain factors should be or how factors should be weighted into a, a, into the model rather than re factoring the model or the formula itself for, for these different size slates. So, um, but good question. Um, and happy to talk about that a little bit more here. And that gets us caught up on Slack here. So let's go ahead. Let's jump over to YouTube chat and start answering the questions that have come in live here uh, for today. Um, Eric said, question, when you have a contest like today, four entry max on DK, how would you go about uploading one lineup then filling out the other three? Um, so say in that one, I wanted to run a five stack Oakland and then in the other three run the default builds. Um I mean, I think there's a, a few different ways to do that. Um, I mean, first thing I would do is I would probably start by just building, you know, it's probably a three max. I imagine something like this. This is probably about what that contest looks like, I would assume here. Um, I would probably just start by building this and then kind of see like, hey, am I getting to any Oakland stacks to begin with, right? Um, and if you if you know that you want Oakland in at least one lineup, I think you could you know, potentially set your minimum exposure to Oakland to 25% and just see what's popping up or set your minimum exposure to Oakland five stacks to 25% or just go through your pool and see what the different Oakland stacks look like and maybe pick one out and hand pick it. Um, and I'll show you how to do both of those things. Uh, alternatively, I think it's possible given how low their total is that we don't really get any Oakland five stacks here, especially for a three max build. And if that's the case, uh, I think we should go back. We'll go back to step one here, we'll go back to the projections and bump up their team total so that we get a little bit more of them. So uh, let's let this build here first. I'm going to actually let this build out the full 500 lineups here just because I think we might need them to to get some Oakland stacks showing up here. And then we'll, we'll talk about how to do this. So um, but Cool. Give this a second here to just finish up. Um, cool. Let's see here. And I think in practice, you may not need to actually let this build out. Oh, looks like it's going a little over. I don't know if you actually need 500 lineups to do this, but I, I just wanted to let this build out so that we, we could see. So, um, okay, first things first, again, going to adjust two projections here. And this is a four max. Uh, I do think the three max sliders will work perfectly fine for a four max contest. There's probably not a big difference there. Let's go ahead and look at our stacks. Let's look at our five stacks here and see, do we get any Oakland five stacks? So, okay, so right off the bat, Right, we have zero Oakland five stacks in our build. Five hundred lineups, not a single Oakland five stack. Right, so to me, like what that's saying is that we asked Saberson, "Hey, I'm playing a four max, a uh, thousand to ten thousand entrance. Uh, build me five hundred lineups that you think are viable." Right, and there's no Oakland five stacks coming in here, so that is a good indication that we should make an adjustment to the inputs to the system. Right, given the default projections. Saberson doesn't want us to go that route. So let's make an adjustment here. I would start with a half run adjustment, right? Let's bump Oakland up to four, three, give them a little bit of a boost here, right? That's going to kind of adjust the Sims a little bit so that Saberson sees, Hey, this is a little bit more of a viable stack, right? And we can take a quick look here and see that, yeah, we're getting, we're actually getting a pretty significant bump on some of these guys here, right? So and I actually think that's an interesting angle for the slate here tonight. It seems like that is a little bit of a lower total. I'm not a big Jose Suarez guy. Um, so let's start this over here now. I don't think I'm going to build the full pool 500 this time. Let's do just a 200 lineup pool. And let's actually just put that at four here to start with and build another set of lineups and see what we're getting from there, right? So, I mean, basically what we just did, we did essentially a test build, right? We said build, run a test build for the contest that I'm playing tonight, right? See what we're getting. So now we'll run this again here build another set of lineups and adjust accordingly. Uh, and I think this will be a good opportunity to also show off the, the new lineup locking and lineup editing tools here as well. So. Give this a moment to, to build. Thank you for being patient with me here. I know uh, watching the, the building lineup screen is not the most uh, entertaining version of this, uh, 
of this show. Uh, but it's a good way to actually demo what the real process looks like. So, and I always recommend starting this way. Start with your test build, see what you're getting, uh, because it does give you an opportunity to check yourself, right? Not necessarily to say that Oakland stacks are, are non-viable in a four max. I don't think that's the case, but I think it is a good opportunity to see, you know, we got zero, right? Zero percent five stacks of Oakland uh, in that in that first build. It does give you an opportunity to kind of make sure that that's the, the angle you want here. But now we'll take another look. We're actually getting some Oakland here just right off the bat, right? We see some Oakland popping up here. Uh, a half run bump can actually be somewhat significant. And what I'd say we should do here, again, you can do this two different ways. I think the first way would basically be to just say, hey, I want, um, oh man, weird, interesting. Still no Oakland five stacks. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about now what I would do here. So uh, we bumped up their run total by a bit here. We're still not getting Oakland Oakland five stacks showing up in our build. Uh, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to set Oakland five to 25% here. Um, oh, actually, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder if this is going to work. Let's see. Let's send these exposures home and send these back. And build again. I actually also, I would say I'm probably going to give them another boat bump up here in their team total. So now we've sent 25% minimum Oakland five stacks back to the home screen. We've bumped them up now by a full run. Um, let's make sure that that, let's, let's reset this here and actually make sure that they are truly bumped up a full run and try again. Or wait, let's do this. Reset. Let's reset everything here. And give this another try. 4.8. The other thing I would recommend as well at this point is I would probably consider increasing the SIM precision slider. I think partially what's happening here is we are just at a small, smaller field contest like this. Um, we're, we're really valuing, we're, we're valuing the averages a little bit more, um, and increasing a little bit of the variance there in this build will probably help out by a little bit as well. Um, we'll, we'll do this here. We'll see what happens in this particular build. Uh, and if we're still not getting any Oakland here, um, I will, I, what I would probably recommend, or we're still not getting any Oakland five stacks. What I would probably recommend is using the lineup editing tool to kind of rebuild a, a lineup to turn it into an Oakland five stack. Um, Patrick says, Sabre is telling you not to roster an Oakland stack. I guess you like losing money. Um, I mean, I do think, yeah, it, it, this is also a good opportunity to say, hey, yeah, now at this point, we've we've bumped up their team total by a full run. Uh, and for this particular contest, um, not seeing any Oakland five stacks popping up. We now at least get a handful of Oakland five stacks popping up here. So now we could go in um, and say 25% Oakland five and just get, the, the first Oakland five stack that pops up here. Um, another way of doing this would be instead to use the filter, look over at the pool and go through and look at them yourself and see which one you like the most, right? Um, see if maybe there's one that jumps out for one reason or another. Um, let me see if for me, I like any of these more than the other, but um, I would probably just take the top overall lineup. So that's a good one. Um, you also... Um, I wanted to mention this before here. If there was a lineup that is kind of close to what you were trying to do, right? Maybe there's an Oakland three stack that you kind of like, or an Oakland two stack. Uh, you can also pop up the lineup editing tool uh, and kind of rebuild parts, portions of this lineup, retool some of this lineup here uh, to get to an Oakland five stack. So um, DG makes a good point here. Uh, I think he should just run an Oakland five stack build and pick the one he wants, write it down, run another build and edit one of the four lineups to the Oakland stack. That's actually not a bad idea. Um, I didn't really think about doing it that way. So in that case, what you would do, right? You'd run your build, same settings here, but in this case, just say at least five players from the same team uh, and only include Oakland in that rule. That's actually a pretty good idea. That's that's actually, I, I think that's that's probably probably better than what I did here. Um, the lineup editing tool is new. Um, so uh, I don't, I haven't always, I'm not always thinking about all the opportunities it presents just yet, but I think that's probably the best idea. Um, so good idea. Uh, okay, let's keep it going. Let me know if that helps. If anybody's confused or Eric in particular, if I lost you there somewhere, just since that was kind of a, 
that that became a longer process than I expected. Um, let me know and happy to, to jump back in there. Any, any part of that. So, um, Patrick says, is there a night and day difference when you adjust the SIM precision by one? Uh, I noticed large field GBPs that everything stays the same except for SIM precision. I just build one build with unique lineups. Uh, no, I, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, there's a difference between each kind of bucket of, of SIM precision, but I wouldn't say each, any individual SIM precision difference is night and day, right? Um, I mean, there's, there's, you'll notice big difference as you make jumps from SIM precision, right? SIM precision two is going to be very different than SIM precision five is going to be very different than 10, but no, I would not say there's a night and different night and day difference between these two. And in fact, right, like, let's say you're playing a 20 max tournament and a 150 max tournament. Uh, and you're looking here, the sliders by default are eight, five, seven, and here they are eight, five, eight. Functionally, the lineups that get built out of these two different builds are going to be virtually, I would say, I don't want to say identical because they're not literally going to be the identical lineups because of the way that the Sims get selected, but they are, they are going to be very strategically similar. And I think you are perfectly fine grouping them together. So, um, then Patrick said the early morning research builds are basically dummy lineups until you can sit down and do a build prior to lock. That's normally what I do early builds for the reserve contest. Yeah, I think that's fine. Again, uh, this, these builds that you run at this time or, or even earlier in the day are, are really just gaining some familiarity with the slate, seeing what's out there. So, and I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Uh, M Jackson said, are strikeouts for pitcher on Saber Sim just their average strikeouts? Are they projected strikeouts for that day's particular game? Same for other stats. Uh, all of the detailed stats that you see over here are the average, right? The mean number for the simulation for that game's, for that day's game's simulations. They are not, they are not like historical averages. So basically, like if we say, uh, strikeout 5.89 strikeouts for Chris Bassett, right? That means if you take basically the sum of every strikeout he gets in every single sim we have for that game, divide it by the total number of game simulations, it is this number. It is the mean average for that day's simmed games. It is not there. It is not a historical stat. So, um, yeah, so they are, in, in your language here, they are the projected strikeouts for that day's particular game. And that is true for all of the stats that you see over in the detailed stats section for all sports on Sabersim. Uh, Patrick said, I think confirming umpires makes a difference in lineup building. The balls and strikes called in the Cardinals and Yankees game was atrocious. Brett Boone was tossed because of that issue. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, umpires are very, it's a very noisy thing. Um, and there's a lot of variance in how umpires can can call games. Um, so I, in, in the actual model, Right. I would say that the umpires is not a primary factor um, in the same way that like a park uh, or, or even just like a more like player level skill uh, factor applies. But, yeah, I mean, it's something that is important. Um, so it is something that is taken into account for us. Right. So I think the more important factor is if umpires are rather than like how bad they are at calling balls or strikes because that's just like a very high variance thing that's difficult to project more historically are they favorable to pitchers or hitters uh is is kind of the 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 level at which that's applied in our model so um legna says any way to guarantee five three and four four stacks in your lineup so this is is actually kind of a weird <laughs> The, the short answer is no, not really because of the way that our stacks are currently set up, right? Like you can, so right now you can go in here and you can say, like, give me at least, like if you wanted to say, there's not really a clear way to say, give me only four, four fours and five threes, right? Because if you say at least five players from the same team, that blocks out the four, the four stacks. And if you say at least four players from the same team, you have to allow other lineups in there. Right. Um, I would say the easiest thing that you can do is say at least four and at least three, right? Which is going to say, this is basically going to say you're only going to get four threes, four fours, and five threes. But then what you'll have to do is eliminate the five, the four threes if you don't want them in the post build process. So that's probably the easiest thing to do for now. We are building out as a part of our new rules dashboard, which is basically the, the big project that we're working on right now. You will be able to go in and literally before the build say, only give me lineups of these stack types. And if there are four fours and five threes only, great. So be it. Um, for now, you have to do it this way. So you could go in here and um, 
I'm not going to build this whole pool, but we can go in and say at the end, right? And let's actually, let's just look at 20 lineups, 25 lineups or something like that, right? You could go in and then eliminate the four threes and you would be left with a build that is only five threes and four fours. So um, it, it should work out just fine. A little annoying for now, but again, the steps there, rules tab, say at least four players from the same team and at least three players from the same team, two different rules and then build and then eliminate the four, three lineups at the end of the, the lineup build. So uh, Jimmy says I was running the research build and completely failed to look at the teams and stacks tabs. I should know better mainly playing five stacks. This will help moving forward. I was mainly focusing on uh, pitcher and batter exposures and comparing to ownership. Yeah. I think, I think just eyeballing the stacks can actually be a pretty helpful way to, to visualize um or to see how like the probability of stack success. Uh, and if you want to go one step further, you could, you could run a, you could set a stacking rule before running your research build too. Um, which is, is going to say, you know, um, basically what you're saying is what is the best possible lineup I could have made for this given slate SIM, assuming the builder has to use a five stack in your, in your pool. Right. So I think that can be good too. Um, Patrick said, I, uh, I'm still learning mathematically how a player would need to score to pay off their price. For example, Brandon Crawford, he was min 2k on DraftKings. How many DraftKings points does he need to score for payoff? Yeah, I think you need to be careful with those kinds of things just because they're very, ultimately you're not, you're not, DFS is not about just picking players and hoping that they independently pay off their salaries. I think in sports where correlation is lower it can, it, it can make some sense, right? Like in basketball or something like that. I can, I think you can kind of think about individual player success. Um, I don't think it's perfect in a sport like baseball, right? It, it gets, it gets a lot trickier because players are not just independently trying to reach their own individual payoff score, right? You're, you're trying to build a lineup that collectively has a high expected value. Uh, and in fact, like even, even just thinking about it on an individual salary basis ignores the function of things like ownership, right? Like you could look at two players that are both 2K and based on the ownership projection of those players, their payoff salary, if they're, or payoff points, if there was one would be different because you, you basically need the lower on player to do less in theory than the, than the higher on player. So... I, I, I think it's dangerous to go down this route. Um, I would be careful. I would, I would try to think more about the, the lineup cohesion as a whole, um, the, rather than individual playoff or individual like target scores for players. Um, I think it just misses a little bit too much, too much nuance there. So, um, Francis says, uh, say you only have time to run one build before lock and your entries include both 20 max and 150 max, which build settings would be the best to use? Yeah, I, I, I don't think for, especially for this particular answer, answer there's not going to be like almost any real difference between these two, right? Like the 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 one point jump from Sim Precision 7 to Sim Precision 8 is going to have a very minor impact on the total like lineup strategy that you see. For me personally, I think this is a lot about personal preference. For me personally, I've always leaned towards using the higher slider values when I'm in between, right? So if it was my decision, if I have one build, I'm playing 120 max and one 150 max, I would probably build something like this. Um, depending on how much time you have, I like to increase the pool size up to 1500 as well. And I would build like this. I prefer, you know, when it's all said and done to say I, I was over leveraged or my lineups were too contrarian or too correlated or too uh, high variance compared to too uncorrelated, not too chalky or not uh, volatile enough, not high variance enough. Right. That's just my personal preference. Now, if you want to play on the safer side, uh, maybe you pick the lower, maybe you pick like the lower option for the sliders. Um, I think that's also, I think that's, that's probably perfectly fine. Um, but that's just the way that I, I prefer to do it. Like even, even if I had a, even if I had a portfolio that also included some single entries or some three maxes in there, I would probably still pick the, the higher sliders just cause I, I prefer to build lineups that are like a little bit more aggressive, I guess. So, but 
Cool. Yeah, good question. Any other questions here for me today? I think we are just about caught up. Um, talked about all kinds of different stuff here today. We got an opportunity to, to, to run a lot of different builds here, talk a little bit about different build settings, the sliders, uh, what to look for in your test builds and your research builds. Um, so I think we have, we've had a pretty good stream here today. Um, anything else before we get on out of here? I will be, of course, right back again tomorrow, same time, same place, two o'clock Eastern uh, for another office hours. We do have uh, one of those special 15 gamers tomorrow uh, for our Tuesday slate. Every every baseball team on the slate, at least on DraftKings. I don't know if there's a there might be a doubleheader mixed in tomorrow. I know that happens often where uh, you'll have maybe like the noon or the two o'clock uh, game one of some random game on the slate and then the doubleheader on the main slate and DraftKings will have the doubleheader game two, but FanDuel won't. But uh, I think at least uh, should be a 15 game slate tomorrow on, on DK, which is kind of fun. So um, let's see. Uh, Patrick says when Acuna was a, was a uh, late scratch yesterday, the Sims was running, was still showing up as projected. I had to X him out physically. Uh, sometimes that can happen. We're, we're, we have some, the, the Sims do a pretty good job of capturing that. And then we also have some manual review um, a, a manual review process to make sure that players are showing up out. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is sometimes there can be multiple Sims before that kind of like actually gets through, especially for like a big player that we really like ex fully expected to be in the lineup. Um, but I, I do think, you know, just at the end of the day, best practice would probably be to check that kind of stuff, right? Like it's, I think it's a good idea, you know, especially if a big name player like that, right. Uh, if, if if Acuna gets scratched out of the lineup for the Braves and you're watching the sim run for that game and then you're ready to late swap, it's probably worth just doing a very quick double check. Hey, is, is Acuna actually marked out? Um, but I, again, between our automatic and manual review processes, I would say we're, we're probably going to get 99% of those kinds of things. But uh, just a quick check on, on your part can go a long way in, in terms of avoiding missing something like that. Um, so... Eric says, I know when I built right before lock, he wasn't included in the sim at that time. Yeah. So again, I think, you know, it will we'll generally do a pretty good job of capturing that stuff, but there can be intermediate sims that don't always get the most, the, the very last like piece of information there. So um, DG said he had time to rebuild as well. So yeah, it doesn't sound like it actually was like a true true late scratch here. Um, probably sounds more just like right before lock, but I didn't, again, uh, out, out, out in the wilderness. I was not playing DFS this weekend, so not really sure on, on my part. But I would say most of the time we we capture that information pretty well. Okay, cool. I think we will go ahead. We'll we'll leave it there for today's show. Again, enjoy uh, the seven game slate here tonight. Looks like it should be uh, an interesting one. Um, we didn't really like dive too deep into slate strategy here tonight. Um, I will probably, just on a very first glance, I will probably be most interested in trying to figure out uh, how I'm going to get away from this kind of three-headed monster here of the Mets, Toronto, and Arizona. Not not necessarily completely, um, but if we are getting like a massive ownership discount on other good hitting teams like the Yankees and uh, Mariners and Padres, like I, I think that's a that's an angle to get to pretty easily. So, um. We'll see what's what's going on there. But um, anyway, um, I guess last a couple notes here. There are a couple final questions coming in here. Samuel says, what can a new user expect when they sign up for Saber Sim? Uh, yeah, I mean, so when you get signed up, you seven-day trial, uh, a couple things. First of all, you'll get kind of signed up to an email list where we will, as you work your way through your trial, uh, send you some helpful resources based on uh, how many builds you're running. We, we actually get some pretty cool data for, from people while they're on their trial. So we'll send you, you know, uh, videos from our database resources that we think will be helpful based on how you're using the tool during that trial. We have a very helpful uh, landing page that I think will will get you started as well when you're up, up here um, in the, the settings tab. If you click help, uh, this will take you to this getting started page, which has a kind of a quick eight minute tutorial video here and then links to our most commonly requested tutorials and FAQs and things like that. Um, so I think that's like the best way to start um, in terms of like what to otherwise expect. Uh, I mean, two things. One, the trial is a full 
Like it's a, it's a, you get full access to the app, all of the different sports, all the different slates. Um, so you, you get the full version of, of SaberSim. Um, and I would say you should expect a, a lineup optimizer and probably, and the only lineup optimizer on the market that's built to, to, that, that's actually built to build the kinds of lineups it was like designed for, right? Other tools out there optimize mostly just for cash, right? They build you, av- they build you lineups that project well on average, and you have to do all the heavy lifting to build lineups that are correlated, that take advantage of ownership, that properly account for different ranges of outcomes. So in terms of lineup quality, I think your expectation should be that the first time you sit down to build lineups with SaberSim, um, you are going to get higher quality lineups right out of the gate than than any other tool if you did the exact same thing sign up press build see what you get you're gonna get cash lineups on fantasy cruncher lineup hq fantasy labs any other optimizer out there SaberSim, you're going to get playable gpp lineups right out of the gate now there's a ton of ways to add additional value that's why i do this stream for an hour five days a week that's why there are 400 plus videos on our youtube channel uh because there are all these different ways to to improve your lineups from there but you will get better lineups right out of the gate there than, than any other tool. Um, in terms of winning expectations, uh, to be completely transparent, I think if you have an expectation that you are going to win a GPP during a, a seven-day trial or even during your first two weeks or or even a month with SaberSim, uh, I think you are, I think that's probably misguided. Um, DFS is an extremely high variance game where I think it can take, you know, sometimes up to a full season to realize your expected value. Um, I think that your expectations uh, for, I think your expectations for what you should get out of SaberSim in that first week uh, is an improvement to your DFS process. Uh, but I think it, I think I, I don't want to mislead anybody watching this stream by saying you are, you are going to win uh, in your, your very first week or something like that using the tools. Cause I don't think that's fair. Um, but I also, I, I would also say that I think we have the best guidance on what contests to play to optimize your and give yourself the highest percent chance of success compared to other tools out there. Right. Um, and that is with our, our DFS profit plan, which is basically a, a contest simulation framework for selecting your contest to play. Um, I would highly recommend watching this video early in your SaberSim experience uh, so that you are playing the contests that give you the best chance at success. Because I think there are, with with how many different contests there are out in the lobby for any given night, there are a lot of ways to go wrong. Um, and I think this this video will help a lot in making sure that you go the right way. So uh, a lot to think about when when you say what should you expect signing up for the first time but hopefully that was kind of a quick helpful helpful overview so anyway patrick says the rockies didn't do anything before the trade deadline what gives the rockies ownership does not want to win baseball games they do not care we're like fourth fifth sixth uh in in attendance every year uh being terrible being just an awful baseball team that, that, that doesn't really care anyway. There's, there's no real, there's the sad part is there's almost no financial incentive for the Rockies ownership to make that team any better. Um, I think it's, it's a little bit salt on the wound that they are like hilariously bad at even just being bad. Like they're, they're borderline non-functional. There's at least, uh, there's other bad baseball teams. There's other small market baseball teams that, uh, that at least give the impression that they're trying to do things to improve the team. The Rockies don't even really do that, but um, Coors Field just rocks. It's like, it's, it's like an amazing park to go watch a baseball game at. It doesn't even matter how, how good the product is on the field. Uh, and it's, it's, it's too fun to go to a game at Coors Field. Uh, so I don't think there's any incentive for them to do anything to make the team better. So, but DG said entry editor alone makes it number one for me. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, 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 I know a biased take, right? But there, there's a lot of individual like killer app features that I think um, each individual person is going to value differently. I, for me personally, I know I talk about all this time, all the time, but being able to do these research builds where, you know, there's a lot of other sites out there that have essentially similar metrics to a research build, uh, but you can't customize them, right? Like there, I know there's top stack tools out there and, uh, and other things like that, but you can't make that your own. 
you could you could theoretically run a research build on SaberSim, adjusting every single individual team total and saying, no, I actually think this is how the slate is going to go. And then run a research build and see how likely different teams are to be off more things like that. I think that's like the coolest thing ever. Um, the entry editor is amazing. I, you know, based on our metrics, uh, the, the average SaberSim user, I don't even think really takes advantage of it enough or at all. Um, so we're trying to push more people to making sure that, that they're using that every day. The late swap tool, right? I know it's baseball team, or I know it's baseball season. Uh, so not as big of a late swap, uh, sport, but when we get over to NBA season, I'll be talking about late swap like every single day on this show. Um, so a lot of, of really amazing features as you, as you get familiar and, and dig in. So, and I was glad, glad that was helpful, Samuel. And I, and I mentioned it here a couple times, but I should say it directly. I do this show, this live Q and a show every Monday through Friday at two o'clock Eastern. So probably, you know, one of your best resources as you're getting familiar with SaberSim uh, to to come in here, ask questions, um, and and just listen in even um, to, to some of the other questions. So, okay, cool. I'm going to go ahead and leave it there for today. I will be right back tomorrow, two o'clock. Uh, good luck on the slate tonight, and I will see you all tomorrow. See ya.